0: Press and media outlets are scrutinized as much as the subjects they cover, perhaps now more than ever. With the rise of social media and other forms of mass communication, these organizations are having to rethink the way they operate, and just as importantly, the way they tell the news. We hosted a conversation with Alexandra Vlok, the Miami Herald Media Company's president and publisher, to navigate the ins and outs of today's shifting media landscape. Alexandra touches on such subjects as current perceptions of media, fake news, and the evolving industry of journalism. Good, Good evening, time.
1: Alex. Good evening, Sebastian.
0: Thanks for showing up. Oh. Tonight would have sucked if you didn't show up. <laughs>
1: yeah, wouldn't Just
0: throwing that out there. you alone
1: up here now? Yes, absolutely. Right.
0: So we've had a chance to chat a little bit before we got the program started this evening, and uh, uh, you've had quite the journey thus far uh, with your career. So let's just go ahead and kick things off uh, and help uh, everyone here tonight. Uh, share a little bit about yourself and um, your background.
1: All right. Uh, Cuban by birth, uh, Miamian by passion. Um, I've spent most of my career trying to figure out how not to leave Miami, and uh, that resonates, right? Um, But I grew up in Latin America, Caribbean, um, all over the world. I was sort of the equivalent of an army brat, went to 13 different schools between kindergarten and high school, but came to finish high school here in Miami, and um, as a good Cuban girl, was not allowed to leave because when I had been accepted to go to college away, my Cuban mother came, why do you need to leave home? And so uh, ended up here going Miami-Dade College. I see people smiling a long time later, so you know what you mean. It's like, why do you mean we don't do your laundry for you here? Uh, and um, ended up going there and graduated from the University of Miami. But um, have traveled around the world in terms of my jobs, but changed many career paths. But again, a lot of it was um, trying to figure out how to always stay in Miami.
0: So, so you've had a lot of shifts within industries, and um, through those shifts, when did you know it was the right time to, to, to make the next jump?
1: I think um, at every transition point in my career, uh, what made me jump was when I got bored and when I felt that I couldn't learn anything more. I've always said I don't have to love or want to go have a beer with whoever I work for, but I always had to win. First of all, the non-negotiable is the sense of integrity but uh, I had to be learning and constantly being challenged. And so where I sort of felt that it was time, that was really what propelled me. And the shift between um, being in aviation, being in finance, being in banking, uh, in media, it was always about if I had two choices, I always opted for the road less traveled, the one I didn't really know about, the one that was gonna make me a little bit uncomfortable, that wasn't going to replicate the experience that I already had had before.
0: You don't want to repeat what you've already gone I through. I want to want learn to...
1: more. I mean, I know I can bring value to an organization, but I always had to look and say, what can I learn in the process?
0: What would you say the most transferable skill that you continue to take with you from from venture to, to, to venture industry to industry would be?
1: You know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. at a certain point, it is about um, people. And today we live in a world of constant change. Mm-hmm. And it is helping the people that work with you how to adapt and, um, and deal with change, and letting everybody know that you're always gonna feel a little bit uncomfortable. I had one, one person ask me last year, we were doing an employee stand-up, and she said, when is it all going to stop? And I go, the day you're dead, <laughs> seriously. And, and sort of like, I love the concept here about about always learning, because we always have to keep evolving. And um, as leaders, where you really stand out is that ability of keeping your organization evolving and your people evolving, uh, and bringing them and helping them develop. And and that's something that no matter what you're at, if you can have that, that's a transferable skill.
0: Agreed. Uh, You had a moment of self-doubt way back in 2008, (laughs) and you, you almost left the Herald. How did you overcome that and really turn the corner and kind of pull the reins back and say, Whoa, cowgirl, I don't think we need to go anywhere. Yeah.
1: I, I, I actually resigned uh, because we're a newspaper. It made the front cover of the business section. Um, I, um, it was at the beginning, if anybody was here, when the recession, the big recession started. And we had new owners to the company. McClatchy had just bought the Herald from Knight Ridder, And we were ground zero for the sort of implosion of the company. And I'm going, these people are brand new. They're probably going to think that it's my fault. Uh, I'm going to leave before they leave me. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't know what I thought. I mean, I love animals. Don't mistake me. But I just thought, oh, I'm going to go into non- I've worked. I've done a lot of time in the nonprofit world, donating my time. But why I thought I was going to go and head up the Zoological Society, um, and I thought that that was smart. I don't know. But about two, the worst thing I did was I gave four weeks notice. And somewhere about, because I like to transition and leave things really buttoned up, and halfway through it, uh, we were, actually, I had taken a vacation. We were in Paris, and I just start crying. And my husband's like, what is wrong? And I go, I've made a mistake. And he's like, well, you're done. Go take this job. A year later, you know, you move again. And I'm like, no. So I went back to look at my boss, and I asked him, "Um, can I have my job? You haven't made a decision. You haven't named anybody yet. Can I have my job back? And the man jumped over his desk, hugged me, kissed me, and it's like, oh my god, this is great. And that taught me something about sometimes we have these fears, and we don't necessarily verbalize them, and we make them this giant elephant in the room that drives us to make the wrong decision. It also helped me to say, you got to stay true to your passion, because in that moment it's like, I like animals, but I don't want this to be what I do uh, every day. Um, It also was a lesson for me because over the years, it has helped me retain a lot of great people who have a moment of self-doubt in their career. And it has helped me have that conversation of why are you leaving? Is this because it's progressing your career? Is it because, you know, we all have either personal issues, I I have a, a a child I need to spend more time on, the commute is too long. Are there things that we can fix to keep you here? Or is it something that really cannot be changed? Uh, because in most cases, you can. And it, it in my personal um, travel through that experience has really helped me be able to have those conversations and mentor and coach folks. that um, I don't think if I hadn't had that trauma. <laughs> but I never actually even packed up my office. How's that?
0: Four weeks notice. Yeah. Hashtag overachiever.
1: Overachiever. Most
0: people give two. <laughs> I'm giving you four. And I'm going to Paris. Stay tuned. That's, that's fantastic. And it's, it's fun to see how um, what, what appeared as uh, a crisis back then uh, became uh, one of the biggest revelations that you've had for your career, um, then in turn sharing that story. Who knows somebody's uh, life could be impacted in this room from that. So it's, it's cool how that comes full circle. So you're incredibly active here in this incredible Miami community. What do you believe makes Miami so special?
1: Our diversity. We really are different. I spend my life trying to explain Miami to people who don't live in Miami. Throughout my career, when I was at United Airlines, headquarters was in Chicago. They couldn't understand us here. You know, in my role now is talking to retailers or businesses that want to either relocate or do business here and explaining what makes us special. Um, We truly are different. We are at the forefront of um, what the rest of the country's gonna look like in a while, because we're really that ahead. But what makes Miami special is because in a way, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, we're a very transient community. All of us have come from somewhere else, many of us may not have a sense of roots or place, but what it does have that is very different from other locations is the doors always open, and I find that if you wanna make a difference here, it is very easy to do that. In San Francisco, you better be one of the founding families on Nob Hill or you're not going to get a seat at the table. Same in like a Chicago. Here you can very easily have the seat at the table, one, because our diversity fragments us in, in a greater way, but also because we're, we're like, where do you come from? We're all from someplace else. Um, and that, that's also what binds us in a way. It's kind of interesting, but um, I think that that's what really makes us special.
0: Agreed. Uh, let's dive into the media and journalism portion of our conversation, if, if we may. Um, what impact do you believe that all of this new media, blogs and social media and the digital landscape um, is, 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 what kind of impact is it having on traditional media news?
1: Well, I think let's start by always, I think we always have to look forward to what outside of ourselves into the impact that this is having on audiences. Today, people have more choices than ever before. That's wonderful, but it's also very confusing. Overload. Overload, it's overload. It's like, who do I believe? What is true? What is real? Who do I trust? Um, It gives a great amount of opportunities to people because you can publish very easily. You can blog. Uh, You can express your opinion. Um, You can create your own brand very easily outside of the mainstream. Uh, But you have to be very careful because, again, audiences can get very confused, and we know that. Uh, And you see that, and I think that's that sort of rise of the challenges today where um, we were talking earlier uh, before this started about um, how traditional media has now bled into this sort of, is it opinion? I mean, let's let's get real. CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, they operate for 24 hours a day. There is not 24 hours worth of real news, it's opinion. It's like talk radio but people re- hear it and they they confuse that opinion and that banter with news and that re- leads to a lot of sort of confusion um,
0: and that's a huge I mean that's it was on the news it must be true
1: you know, at the average there's true. a lot
0: of it unless you are knowledgeable within the media you contingent upon it doesn't matter what side of the news you you're, 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 you're taking um, I think it's more of um, Realizing is it actually really news? I, I mean I see some sources that show up and it's like, what in what the is world that? is the dailyworld.co? Yeah. Was, I, mean, I mean, you that know, could you, be you a cycle can go moment.
1: you can go back to the world of, you know, Walter Cronkite came on at six o'clock oh, and said the, days. and said the sky is blue. Everybody could agree the sky is blue. You might say, it might rain tomorrow. No, I don't think it might rain, but the sky is blue. I think we live now in a world that is so polarized that we can't even agree if the sky is blue to begin with. And that leads to challenges. It leads us to challenges of um, how do we make decisions and how do we as a community evolve? I mean, let's get real. I mean, for democracy to thrive, we need engaged, informed citizens. I mean, that's just critical. That's the starting point. And if you look at where democracy has failed around the world, it is where free media was constrained. If you look at how democracy dies, you shut down the free press. Um, but it means that communities need to embrace and support legitimate, viable, verified journalism. And um, you know, if you were in if you're in Cuba, you know that that's what happened. If you're in Venezuela, if you're in Turkey right now, what you're doing is you're shutting down. Um, journalism and free press. And you can just go around the world and and seeing that. Um, So, I mean, that's just critical and goes to the the heart of it. But just a lot of confusion and noise because in the social world today it is so easy to create hey, how many of you, you you know, you all know how to splice pictures and splice video and I take my vacation shots and my husband takes 20 pounds off of me. (laughs) Is it a fake picture? I was really standing in front of the Taj Mahal, but I'm 20 pounds thinner. And so, Uh, It's so easy to adulterate the facts and blur the lines Um, So the responsibility lies with us to continue to challenge what we see and to make sure that you know Is it real we have to challenge that at every moment
0: sure? So I'd like to address the elephant in the room so to speak the term fake news is being thrown around a lot these days. The media is being portrayed as the bad guys and the perception of trust is is most definitely shifting. Why do you believe this is happening and do you believe that it's as bad as some would want the public to, to perceive and, and believe?
1: Um, there's a very interesting study that was commissioned by the Knight uh, Foundation that Gallup just ran nationally and I encourage you if you want to take the time and read some it's interesting, it's not that long, at KnightFoundation.org. And it, uh, it was trust, media, and democracy, and the impact on democracy. And a lot of key findings. We talk about what we've already talked about, the, the general confusion, how people are overwhelmed by too many sources. But then it starts really talking about this polarization of depending on if you're a Democrat or a Republican, especially when it comes to national news, uh, you have very different perspectives of whether you know news is doing a good job or not. Um, media we need to do a better job of labeling what is opinion and what are facts because that, that uh, perceived bias I think is because of that bleed through of you know commentary versus just the straight facts. Let me make my own decision. I don't need you to make my, the decision for me. Um, but we're, we've allowed ourselves um, as journalists in the type of media we are to be lumped with organizations that I put into this category of sort of entertainment news you know. in in that confusion. Um, Some of the takeaways, and one of the key takeaways, for example, if if you're a Republican, four out of 10 Republicans will see a story, and if it does not align, they know that it's true, and they will admit that it's true, but if it does not align with their beliefs, they will declare it fake news, okay? So how do we address that? Okay, Um, that's not the flip, Democrats are more likely. So what happens with media, and it's really interesting, at that national level, uh, folks are more um, uh, likely to sort of go into their own little corner of whatever their beliefs are, at one extreme or the other. But then when you come down to the local level and local news, local news is not really as partisan. Okay, Um, there is a much greater credibility, to journalists, when it comes to local news, because you know what? Yeah, there is traffic. The light, the lights aren't working. There are potholes, or you know, they want us to hold government accountable. And is my school system working? And nobody ever says that's a fake story there. So I always challenge when somebody calls me and says, "I want to cancel my subscription. You're, you're a liberal, da da da, and you're biased." And then I said, you know, what did you think about the story when we were covering Opal And we actually turned over the research we did, and that's what the FBI used to convict. And, um, you know, the story that we did on uh, the deaths in the prison or the children that were being killed in the hands of DCF, oh, if you weren't doing that, nobody would be holding government accountable. Thank God you're there. Do you still want me to cancel your subscription? No, I love my Herald. <laughs> So talk to me about that schism of like, but don't tell me at the national level what to believe. Sure. So there really is this real split between that local, where I think there's a great deal of trust, and when you ask the question on a national platform about national news.
0: Yeah, it gets you thinking on do do people really want fact-based news and information, or is a portion of it some a bit of a novelty, a bit of a, a bit of entertainment, if you will. I mean, I go to TMZ twice a year, and I get excited at the news for like one day that you know little Bow Wow walked out of a restaurant in LA. It's entertaining for a little while, but I don't wake up every day going, I can't wait to consume that that type of content.
1: You know, there there are days that I come home, and what I want to turn on is is Bravo or Hallmark Channel, really, Okay, Food Um, Network. (laughs) The, um, we have to give our audiences much more credit I mean, there's a lot of people who love and say that everybody's just consuming that clickbait and, you know, Kardashian or TMZ. Yes, it's out there. But the truth is people want well-written, in-depth, thought-provoking journalism. And they will consume it on the platform of their choice. So when people ask me what business am I in, I'm not in the newspaper business. I'm in the business of content. Content that makes an impact in our community. And you can consume it however you want. Today, most people are consuming it on their on their phone. Go at it. and But people have, a, a, one of our best read stories last year was a piece that went on for almost an hour between video photo galleries and the storytelling. But good storytelling is rewarded because your audience will consume it. So we have an obligation to provide good storytelling.
0: So how can readers really determine what they're reading is, is real and, and what, what what's being done. And you, and you touched on it a minute ago when you said we, we need to do a better job as a news organization of saying this is in fact an opinion um, piece. This is in fact local news. What, what, what's being done to differentiate or, or just have the average person that, that consumes the news that would call and read an article and cancel their subscription and then get turned around on the same phone call and go, okay, I love you guys. We're totally cool.
1: Yeah. I'm saying. Um, because so many of us uh, find things serendipitously through our uh, Facebook feeds or Twitter feeds, what I say is go to the source. Go to the source. Go to the source. Go to the originating document. If somebody's retweeting something, make sure you really are circling back and diving deep to where it came from. And um,
0: I think if, check the source comes up right next to that.
1: Yeah, go, go to the go, source go, and check yeah. the source. Um, and don't be sort of trapped into this sort of clicking along just because it's your friend and, and make sure you're not passing along fake news, which is what is happening. Oh, it's my friend. It, this must be real. I'll go back because many things today look like it's real, but when you dig a little bit deeper, it's like it, it really didn't come from a vetted source.
0: Has Facebook or any of the large social networks done anything with major news outlets to say, hey guys, here's what we're doing um, to, to, to try and tackle this? Yeah, I know you guys are trying to tackle it internally. Um, here's how we can support you. We
1: we are working hand-in-hand with both Google, Twitter, and Facebook um, on a national level um, because they understand that their credibility is at stake.
0: Yeah, Zuck knows it's first-hand priority.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and um, at Jack was getting our Twitter feeds last week when one of our reporters, when Alex Harris was being, um, her her Twitter feed was hacked and uh, duplicated and put out there and it looked just like her feed. And um, yeah, okay. So they're being called to task.
0: Take your Twitter profile, duplicate it, and then put fake news out there. I mean, we talk, we are talking layers and layers of and layers and what's layers. real here, because if you read that as a an credible journalist, and so
1: the only reason Alex Harris found out is her—all of a sudden her Twitter feed starts exploding in the middle of the Parkland crisis, and people are like, "How dare you?" You know. Tweet that, and how would you be asking that? That's so inappropriate. And she's like, "What are you talking about?" And it's all of a sudden she sees that they have hacked into her and posted into her Facebook. It looks just like her into her Twitter feed.
0: What was her recourse to be able to say, "Hey, well, how first of it? all,
1: we we were talking to Twitter at pretty high levels, pretty fast that day." Um, but she then posted a, a static post at the top of her feed saying, "These were not my tweets. I have been hacked. This is actually the screenshot of my real tweets that were adulterated." Wow. And um, and we had that with, with something on a Facebook article by, by Monique last week as well. So the sophistication of it, and, and it, it's just, it's fraud. It's now not fake news. This is fraud, and we're pursuing it legally.
0: So what's the Herald doing to ensure that it keeps the trust of its, of its readers?
1: I think one is, it's on us always to say we are um, vetting our sources, double-checking our sources when, when things come to us. Triple. Uh, and triple. <laughs> Um, but also making sure that we are very clear and that we're always are focusing and filtering everything about, you know, you know, the truth is everybody comes to a situation with your filters of life. We can say and pretend that we're not biased. We always have to gut check ourselves and that's why we have reporters and they have editors and the editors have editors. Um, and, and this sort of, this filter of always checking what is news and how we're we reporting it and making sure that we're making it credible uh, and part of it, because we're posting on social media, you'll see, you know, we're always testing different headlines. The headlines we use in print is not the headlines we use to get the Google juice, you know, and, um, and get picked up that way. Um, and that, we're always teaching, but we always have to stay credible and true to our brand and um, operate with integrity. And that's a, that's a challenge we put to ourselves every day, because the only thing we operate in this space with is um, that trust that exists between our audience and our brand.
0: Are you finding it's just, it's just so hard to find credible sources these days? Um, or is that, is that, I mean,
1: Not, not, not from us from a journalistic standpoint. I think that all of us as, as readers, you know, we're challenged because sometimes we're overwhelmed. I'm looking at my Twitter and I'm seeing this stuff and I'm like going, somebody just posted this and it's like, this is fake, this is fake. Why are you posting this? This isn't true. This didn't really happen today. And sometimes it's exhausting to be like challenging people, and sometimes you just sort of I want to mute them and just I don't want to hear them anymore because this is like it's garbage. And so we we ourselves I think it's that exhaustion. Um, but in in our from our perspective of the work we do, no, I mean that's that's what we do is finding the credible sources.
0: Have you found any challenges with um, with being a woman in the media, and then has that has that landscape changed um, drastically since becoming an executive?
1: Um, You know, we're living in this moment of, um, you know, the hashtag Me Too, and and people sharing. I have been blessed to work for organizations that, for us to do our job, we need to reflect the diversity of the community we serve. And so I have worked for the last 17 years for an organization that really um, promotes diversity, diversity of gender, diversity of, of ethnicity, because that's how we can do our better, the best job possible for the community that we serve. Um, I'm always conscious as a leader to make sure that we respect that diversity, and it, it's, it's part of my role to make sure the culture that we set for our company, um, and that can come in many ways. It is about creating a mentoring um, environment for everybody, uh, an environment that is safe for people to come in and, and talk and, and have avenues for that. Um, it's respect and operating with respect. And uh, respect is earned, but you have to model those behaviors and you just can't expect them from people. Um, but I, I, you know, hey, when I started my career, I was the the youngest person at Eastern Airlines, With most of you in this room don't even remember, but it was the main employer in town when I got out of University of Miami and I went to work there I was so excited that I could you know pass ride and fly to New York for six bucks um, in first class and um, but I, but nice I answer. was um, not only the youngest the, the next person up in seniority in the finance department had been with the company 13 years so I was I was the only female other than the secretary and um, you know it, it was different but did I did I ever get disrespected? No, I think you sort of have to set the tone of how you behave. Um, and, you know, don't don't mess with me. I know. <laughs> you know? Um, I, I'll tell this sidebar, and I know I'm being filmed, but it, I, it's nothing I haven't shared. But, you know, and those folks are not around anymore, so I can say it. But I remember they looked at me and they said, uh, could you get us coffee? Okay? And, um, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm the youngest person here. I just started. Whatever. So I go to get the coffee. I'm like, this is not the place to make a statement, okay? Uh, There's styrofoam cups. If you know, styrofoam cups are not very stable on a tray. So, now I'm, you know now why I only drink water. It doesn't stain. But uh, I'm a klutz, and I'm not really self-aware of my surroundings. So I come to the table, and I am just trembling with anger, and all the coffee spills all over this table. And Show I said, them. guys, and, and I really did not do it intentionally, but it worked out well. I said, guys, from now on, you better get your own coffee if you don't want to wear it. <laughs> so I've well, always found that Cleared that, that coffee
0: duty up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've always found that sometimes humor can work to sort of diffuse a tense situation. Sure. Uh, but. Um,
0: or make it worse. Or make it worse. <laughs> you
1: know? I, I didn't pay for their laundry bill.
0: What does the future of journalism um, have in store, in, in, in your opinion?
1: I think we live in fascinating times. Um, We're the only industry that is called out by name in the constitution of our country. Freedom of the press. And our founding fathers had the foresight to understand that for a democracy to thrive, you needed a strong free press to challenge and hold our government accountable. Um, Our... The beauty today is that we are no longer restricted by geography. The digital age allows us to reach people no longer restricted by how far a truck can drive at four in the morning to get to your house in the morning. You can access our content anytime, anywhere. And that is thrilling, because if you know the population of, you know, Miami-Dade County and and Broward, this MSA, you're talking about whatever, 2.2, 2.4 million um, adults, and I, how to say that we reach 19 million unique visitors every month on our websites. They're coming from all over the world because they trust our brand and we we know that we have something that they want here. And again, that opens up the doors to playing in the video space, um, not just you know digital but video, and in platforms yet to come. And so that's why I go back to what we do is content and the platforms can be what they, what they may be today or in the future who knows
0: i'm glad you said that about content, because that segues segues us right into my next question which we spoke briefly about it before but um co- content is key um and individuals um, are, are starting brands and building their individual brands at a rapid rate these days because rapid rate these days because there's never been a more exciting time to be alive mm-hmm. there's never been an easier time to build a brand there's never been an easier time to to, to build a business what What advice do you have for people that are creating content, developing a brand and trying to you know remain as transparent as possible while building that brand? what 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 type of advice do you have when building that online credibility?
1: Um, I would say that understand that there is no such thing as this is my personal brand in social media and this is my professional. I have two
0: Facebooks. <laughs> First of all, it's just Facebook okay? yeah
1: So it's you have, there, there is, and it bleeds, and I see some of the dangers of people thinking, well, this is just my personal life. When you are portraying yourself, it is what is that brand, and that brand's on and now lives 24-7, because we really are like, you really live in glass houses right now. Sure. Okay, there is no pri- sense of privacy. So how do you comport yourself, and how do you portray yourself as you go into this digital space? You're always on. And so you need to always understand what's your brand and always be filtering, is this staying true to my brand? Whether it's something you're retreating, something you're posting, the picture, uh, what does this say about you and um, that both personal brand and professional brand that you're building? Um,
0: That's when you're checking your source before you're sharing information. Yeah, You're really getting there to sink your teeth in and make sure what you're selling, because all you're doing is bringing yourself into that yeah. that, uh, that that whirlwind of chaos of what of, 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 would potentially be fake news. Now. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. I was going to segment it. What the question wasn't down here. That was why, but it was a good one. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, oh, I had I was going to say you, you have to be careful what you post because it, it goes online. I said I have a friend that wrote a book called, um, what happens in Vegas stays on YouTube. And, uh, it totally does. And I, and I talk about that a lot is that, you know, the, the, if you're not on Facebook, you're shady. I'd say in this yeah. day and age. Be yeah, a fair fair comment, number one. Number two, if there's those two, I have two Facebook pages. I've got my 9 to 5, and then I've got my 5 to 2 a.m., like literally, right? So I believe those days are over of being able to do that because who you are in here is who you are out there, and if you don't think so, the, the world does it's, pertain to the content you're it's creating. A, it's the
1: first thing I check when I'm interviewing somebody or somebody's coming in. I'm going to go check who, who, who's... It's not only the Google, but I'm gonna check where, where are you in LinkedIn, and where are you on Instagram, and where are you on Facebook, and in and Twitter, and, and what kind of a voice do you have? Because when you come in and talk to me, are you staying true to that voice that you're portraying, or am I seeing this sort of schizoid character?
0: I do the same thing in my dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that actually kicked me out
1: of a lot of trouble when I was single, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so um, as we wrap things up here, um, what are three books or podcasts or um, content um, platforms or nuggets that you would suggest our audience read or listen to immediately? Mm.
1: Immediately, oh. Um, there's one podcast, the Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Gladwell Revisionist History, which I love. Um, I'm always reading and a lot of my reading is tied to, I love to travel. So, you know, last year I went to Rwanda my bucket list to go visit the gorillas. It, this year will be my fourth trip back to Africa. I'm going to Namibia. So, a lot of my reading is tied to, you know, I was reading a lot of, there's a lot of books about the, uh, how the genocide in Rwanda and the remaking of the country and what led to that, um, which I found fascinating about just how quickly a society can deteriorate. Um, uh, Blindness by Jose Saramago is one of my all time favorite books, deep reading. Um, but then I'll, I'll, I'll read just about anything else. Um, How about podcasts? Uh, you know, I, I like to read, not to, to listen. Isn't
0: it crazy that we have those choices these days? Like I want to, like you said earlier, people want a physical. My mom lives it's, in Delray Beach. She's got that Sunday Miami Herald, like clockwork yeah. every week because she yeah. likes to.
1: I, I I think reading and and reading the gamut and reading things that provoke you that make you feel uncomfortable is um, essential. Um, and so, don't always go to the tried and true. Sometimes take it. I, I read. Sometimes I will get books in Spanish just to keep my Spanish up and to, you know, uh, push my my.
0: I do that at the uh, ATM sometimes just to mix it up a little oh, bit. Oh God! I'm there for like an hour. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, but yeah, I mean it's um. Those are my 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 nuggets. It's 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 read. I and you know I, I love to travel because travel gets you out of your your comfort zone and sure. exposing yourself to. Food, which we gorillas. talk about how much gorillas. It's gorillas, people, um, and um, and you know, people that are very, very different, that have different thought processes that sort of challenge what, how you think um, and how they view life and uh, some of the things that we sort of take for granted. Um, I was several years ago in Cambodia, and um, my guide that morning, he comes in, and Sam, and Sam's go, I'm very happy today, Alex. Why are you so happy today, Sam? Um, you know, when I went out today, I, there was a duck egg and I, I had duck, a duck egg with my rice this morning. And I sat back there in this moment of we have so much and sometimes we are just so unhappy with what we have and not satisfied. And here's somebody whose entire day was going to be made happy because he walked out and had a duck egg to have with breakfast. And, you know, sort of those moments where I'm about to lose it, I have this sort of reset, and I always remember Sam and his little learning about just, sometimes it's the simple things that we should be grateful for and show gratitude and uh, not get bogged in a lot of the nonsense and the noise that um, can sort of take us off off kilter in life.
0: Sure. Um, don't sweat the small stuff, because after probably it is the, small. Don't
1: sweat it's all, a lot of it is small stuff. When people come in, it's like, we made a huge mistake, and it's like, nobody's dying. It's a boo-boo. We can fix this. Um, but um, one question you didn't ask me, but we had talked about a lot community work and nonprofit. And if there's one thing that has helped my career and the kind of network that I've built is about giving back to my community and being engaged in different ways. And I would say find your passion because you're doing it. Um, on your own time outside of your work hours and it means you're leaving maybe your family or your kids or whatever to do it. So you need to be, it's something that you're passionate. You know, for 10 years I was involved with Big Brothers Big Sisters. For about close to 30 years I've been involved with the Beacon Council, which is the Economic Development Agency for Miami-Dade County. And people go like, why, you're not an economist. But it all comes down to, it really is about helping somebody find a job and a better job because you can transform their life going forward and their children's life by helping them have a job that is meaningful and not a hand out, but a hand up. And, um, you know, in United Way. And I'm co-chair of this year's United Way campaign for the second year running. And I will say that every single job that I've had and every change in my career path has come from a connection that I made in my nonprofit world. Funny how that Yeah. And uh, people would know and say, you know, I know that you don't know anything about the newspaper business, but I've seen you in action and you understand Miami and you know how to sell Miami. Come and work for me. Mm. And at every turn, those connections have served me. And um, I did well by doing good.
0: That's a good game plan. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, The Social University.